As you're being seated, if you would please turn in your copies of God's Word to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 54 through 62 today, looking at Peter's denial. Luke chapter 22, we will be starting in verse 54. Listen carefully, because this is indeed God's word for you today. Then they seized him, that is Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl... Seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we look at this text together. Oh, Jesus, we come to you and see this passage, an embarrassing passage of a great sin of one of your disciples. I pray that we would be able to look at this passage and learn to avoid this same thing, but to also relish in the forgiveness that you have offered this very same man. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Betraying people or denying a relationship happens almost more by what one doesn't do than by what one does. I remember when I was a teenager, a friend and I were in a convenience store and we had found a little ball and we were passing it to each other throughout the aisles until one of our aims, I won't say who, was a little off and knocked over one of the other merchandise that was on the table, alerting the clerk to what we were doing. I, being the bold sort that I was, immediately abandoned my friend and went into the next aisle around to avoid the consequences of my actions. If you're listening, John, I'm sorry. And I left my friend there to take the heat from the clerk, who admittedly was nice but firm. She didn't kick us out of the store, but my friend took all of the, all of the heat for what we had done. This was something that was a betrayal of me. I was betraying him. I was leaving him to face the consequences of what we were doing together. By separating myself, I had denied any culpability for what had just happened and pushing my friend away and leaving him to take all of the heat. 
And this is a similar thing of what we see here. Obviously, what we see here is a denial of quite a different sort. This is Peter denying the Lord. But nonetheless, this is the same action. It might, the reasons for why Peter might have done this is something that we will explore. But ultimately, the reason for why doesn't matter. The fact that it happened is still bad. He might have been able to conjure up some sort of reason for what he was doing. But the reality is, is this was pushing Jesus away. Trying to have Jesus for all of the blessings, but shoving him aside when it comes to costs and time to pay for this relationship. And that's what we're going to see here. This is one of the wonderful things about the Bible. The Bible is so wonderfully honest about the failings of its people. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament is people messing up one way or another. In fact, even with Peter, we'll see him make this mistake again, even after all of this has happened. When Peter uh, is eating with one of the Gentiles, when his friends from the Jewish side of town come in, he withdraws himself and tries to deny that he's been with them and gets a tongue lashing from Paul, as we find out later in Galatians. This is something that Peter has struggled with. Peter likes to have people happy with him. And the Bible is honest about that. But it goes to show also when we look into the book of Acts that Peter was able to conquer this sin of pleasing people. And we're offered the same. We're going to see how all that fits together as we look at our two points today. The first, as you can see on your outline, the back of the prayer guide, the first, path, the first point we're going to explore is don't deny Jesus who has accepted you. Don't deny Jesus who has accepted you. And we'll look into some ways in which that can be done. And then the second point is that Jesus can restore those who have denied him. Jesus can restore those who have denied him. This is the gospel. And that's what we're going to proclaim today. So let's look at this passage. And as we... Come to it in verse 54. We're picking up right where we've left off. Jesus has been confronted in the garden. The row of soldiers with swords and clubs have come out to arrest Jesus. And now they've taken him and they're taking him off to begin this first trial. Brought him to the high priest's house. And there's a little courtyard and Peter has managed to follow at a distance, which is more than the rest of the disciples can say. But he has been following at a distance. Now he is... In the courtyard, there's a fire that's been placed, and he's warming himself next to it. And here the drama begins. It's not from a Roman soldier with a sword. It's from a little servant girl who has recognized Peter and is the first moment of temptation. And sure enough, Peter denies it. And then a second one comes up, and he does it again. And the third one comes up, and he's had an hour to think about it between those two points. But he then denies it a third time. They notes here, when this third one comes along, he is more certain because he says, you are a Galilean. Galileans had an accent that was discernible. You could tell from where someone was in the country, by the way, that they talked. Peter's accent gave him away. They said, no, this surely is the person, but he's continuing to deny it. In fact, if we look into the other gospel accounts, it says at this point that he begins to make, make oaths and swear that he does not know this man. This is a full-fledged denial of who 
Jesus is and even denying that he has ever been a disciple of Jesus. This is something that can befall any of us. So why does this happen? One commentator admittedly is speculating because the scriptures don't say what was going through Peter's mind as he was doing this. But perhaps one of them was the fact that Peter was beginning to think that Jesus actually wasn't the Messiah. Here, Peter, along with everybody else, was expecting a political figure who was going to rise, kick out the Romans, and establish Israel's reign from sea to shining sea. This was the expectation, and indeed still is the expectation for many in Israel, that one will come to create this political revolution. But it's really hard to be a political revolutionary when you have just been arrested by those same people you're supposed to be kicking out. Here, Jesus was offered the chance to be defended by his disciples with a sword, and he hauls off and heals one of the enemy. Maybe this isn't supposed to be the Messiah. And perhaps Peter is examining to see how things are going to go in this first trial, and maybe if things don't go so well, Peter can back away, as so many others had. There were about 10 other Messianic movements right around this time where once the person who was thought to be the Messiah was killed, everybody else backed away and pretended like they had never been part of it. And perhaps Peter's doing the same. Because after all, why should you suffer and die for a lost cause? I bring this up because I think this is something that is the reason if we're going to deny Jesus, it's going to be for this same reason. You can, do, you can deny Jesus in lots of different ways, but I think the motivation for a lot of the times is we forget who he is. We forget where this story is ultimately going. I mean, imagine if you could go back in time and I gave you the opportunity to buy 25% of a little computer company that would be called Apple. But you had to sink everything that you had into this company in order to own a quarter of it. You would need to endure a lot of mocking because why are you sinking all of your life savings into this computer thing that no one's heard of and is probably a fad anyway, as they said in 1995 in PC Magazine. You would hold on to those savings because you know that in about 20 or 30 years, that that portion of that company would be worth $250 billion. And who's laughing now with a yacht? It would be easy to hold on to something like that because you can say, I know where this is going. I've seen the future, and it is today. I can buy my way into it before it really takes off. It would be easy to look at people who are naysaying and say, it's like, well, if only you knew what I knew. Even if you had to suffer a lot to hold on to those earnings, you would because you knew what riches would await you. But for some reason we don't possess that same confidence with Jesus. We've had someone from the future come and tell us where this is going. In fact, this has happened multiple times. As we saw last week, Daniel was preaching and seeing that the Son of Man was to come and receive a kingdom that would never end. Making $250 billion look like change from the couch. He's going to own the universe and offers you a place in that kingdom. And if Daniel's witness wasn't enough, we see the same result happen with the Apostle John, who's looked into Revelation and sees the whole world, every nation, tribe, and tongue bowing before the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I think that's the picture that we leave behind when we are ashamed of the gospel. Riken, who I quote from often, had pulled a lot of different ways in how we deny Jesus. Some of it is because when our co-workers or our fellow students will have no reason to think that we're Christians because our behavior doesn't look any different than theirs. Or it could be at a time when it is unfashionable to decry certain sins that we want to hold ourselves back from those things. We're willing to condemn what the world wants to condemn, but we're a little less bold when it comes to sins the world likes or sins that our particular camp is prone to. We can deny Jesus when we're afraid to share the gospel with other people. We talked about that in Sunday school today. When we look at that person who we can feel that we're supposed to bring the gospel to them, but we say, oh, I don't know. It's a denial of Jesus. And it might be because we're forgetting what value we have. Jesus is going to win the world. He's going to rule the universe. If your neighbor laughs at you because you're a Christian, what's that? Or if one day we have to face some actual persecution here in this country, what if we have to give up our freedoms? What if we have to give up our lives? They're not ours anyway. Christ has purchased them. He's going to do something wonderful with them. Bring them into his kingdom for everlasting life. We forget that when we deny Jesus Because in that moment, we value something else more, whatever that may be. Security at your job, the applause of men. Perhaps that's what Peter is doing here. Wants to save his life, wants other people to like him. We all like to be liked. But we forget what's happening. So this is what Peter does. And it's quite insistent. So what does supposed to happen to him. Here's a passage in Luke that should make us be afraid and be afraid for Peter. Because it talks about in Luke 12, 8 through 9, it says, And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of God also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What does that mean? It's the same word. Deny in Luke chapter 12 is the same deny we see in Luke 22. Does this mean there's no hope for Peter? Or that there's no hope for us? For those of us who have shied away from gospel proclamation or those of us who have not spoken the truth when we should have or spoken a lie to try to cover up what is the truth. What should we do? Riken puts this rather convictingly. He says, The true test of discipleship is our witness to the world and not just the promises we make to God. He goes on to point out that Peter was brave in private, but in public he was pretty quiet. He goes on to say, we, If we cannot speak up and say something for Jesus then what kind of disciple am I anyway? 
It's a question worth pondering. When was the last time that we have shared Christ with someone? It's a convicting question. It's a convicting for me too. So does this mean that we're all just lost causes? Because if we're looking at this correctly, all of us would have some level or another have denied Jesus. Well, this is the beautiful hope of the gospel. That's what we're going to turn to now as we look into our second point, is that Jesus can restore those who have denied him. Look with me into the gospel of John. John 21. This is after Jesus has died for the world's sins and for Peter's sins too. He is risen again and he is meeting the disciples for breakfast that he's prepared for them. Wonderful picture of provision. John 21, starting at verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, he will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Here, Jesus gives Peter a three times opportunity, just like the three times of denying. He gives gives Peter three opportunities to confess his love for Jesus. It's exactly what he does. This is forgiveness. This is a beautiful thing to see. But how did we get there? If we go back to Luke 22... We can see even there in verse 61 that as soon as Peter's denied in the third time, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's a unique note from Luke. It's the only gospel that records that. Makes eye contact with him. Then Peter remembers the saying of the Lord. Jesus had predicted that this would happen. But he also predicted that Peter would turn as well. That he would repent of this sin that he's done. Then we get to verse 62 and it says, And he went out and wept bitterly. A lot of times we can tend to think that when someone is crying, that that means that they're very repentant. That's what we kind of look for as the evidence of of someone's true uh, depth of sorrow. But that's not the case. As Riken also points out, the... True sign of repentance is not the tears. It's what happens afterward. What did Peter do? He turned from his sin. That's the whole thing with repentance. We can feel bad for our sin, but that's not repentance. 
That's feeling bad. We should feel bad. Sin is bad. But it shouldn't end with that. Judas was also remorseful. But there was no repentance there. With Peter, there was. As we see, his life has indeed changed. Later on, he goes into Acts and becomes a very bold preacher, willing to face imprisonment, beatings, and eventually, at the end of his life, according to church tradition anyway, was crucified upside down, dying the death of his Lord. How does one go from that? How do you go from someone who will deny Jesus in front of a servant girl at your very first opportunity to someone who goes and will end up dying for the gospel? And the answer to that, as it always is, is Christ. The reason why it's always that answer is because we always forget that. We always forget that Jesus is the one that brings us transformation. And that's what we see here. Peter is transformed by Christ. As Christ offers him forgiveness. And he offers this to you too. In fact, that's what we're going to celebrate here at the Lord's Supper. It shows that whatever sin you are currently struggling with, whether it is the fear of man or anything else, pick your sin, whatever it is, this does not have to define you. Peter is not known as Peter the denier. Because Jesus changed him. That's what we can expect as well. Does this mean we just sit back and say, it's like, all right, Lord, just change me. I'll be waiting here for when you get back. No, we're actively participating in this process as well. Jesus is the, is the one who does all the work to get us to heaven, but, the, but those of us that are being shaped, being transformed into holy people, both of us are working on that, God and you. Getting into his word, seeking him in prayer, being a part of a fellowship like what we see here today. These are all the things that are going to transform us with Christ's power to make us into bold people. That's what we see here in this text. Even though Peter has done a very, very terrible thing, distance himself from Jesus and pretend like he was never a follower of Christ to begin with, abandoning him at the first opportunity, Christ was able to forgive and bring him back. So, what do we take away from this passage? First thing is, don't deny knowing the Lord. Don't do that. It's not worth it. Whatever it is that you are trying to gain from this denial, you're not going to receive. This is something that, while I don't believe that we're going to be facing the persecution that we've seen in other nations at any point soon, this is something we need to make up our minds about today. While we're probably not going to be facing torture and imprisonment, We're going to be facing a lot lesser things. And we'll chicken out over that. So let's work on those things that we are going to face. The disapproving looks from our coworkers. Or the eye rolling of family members. We face those things. Don't deny that you know the Lord. But if you do, and if you have, Christ can forgive you of that. Does it mean that what we've done is not a big deal? Jesus had to die for that. So all of our sin is a big deal. But he can restore you from that, just as he did Peter. 
just as he did all of these broken characters in the Bible. We can join that list of folks who have been restored. Your sin does not have to define you. And wherever we find that sin, especially if it's fear of man, that's what led to this thing. Wherever we find that, ask the Lord to help you crush it. Work on putting yourself out there and say, I want to, I want to get past this sin. So it brought Peter down. So let me seek out the Lord to help me find strength for that. And the way that we do that is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Remind, our, remind yourself of what Christ has done for you personally. How much Christ loves you personally. The look that Jesus gave to Peter, while we don't have a description of it, was probably not one of condemning, I can't believe you just did that. Because Jesus predicted it was coming. But it was probably a look of pity and forgiveness of saying, yes, my child, I knew that was coming. But I know that the restoration is coming too. That's how Jesus looks at you. So relish in that. Use that as your motivator to say, how can I betray someone who loves me that much? Who knows every sin that I'm going to commit, yet chooses to love me anyway? That's our Savior. And if you don't know him, you say, it's like, well, I really can't deny Jesus. I don't know if I've ever known him to begin with. It's like, this is then your opportunity. Well, today is still today. But turn from your sin and put your trust in him. It's not a matter of how, much, of how many tears you can conjure up. It's a matter of what your life looks like afterward. So we see here. Obviously, no one's going to be perfect. Peter wasn't. He just did this thing with Jesus, and then we see a few years later doing the same thing to all his Gentile friends. He was corrected and turned. It's the life of a Christian, being corrected and repenting. But there's hope for you. There's hope for me. And we're going to celebrate this hope as we break bread to show that Christ's body was broken for us. And we're pour the fruit of the vine, reminding us that Christ's blood has been poured out for us. It's taken the penalty of our sin. And then one day rose again. Showing that he had defeated sin and death. And that as we have this meal, we're having communion with a living person. A living Savior who has hope for us forever. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that you have not hidden the sin of your people but that we can see it because we sin too. I pray that you would help us to be bold in our witness for you, that we would not desire something silly like the approval of people who we don't even know how long they're going to be alive. Help us instead to seek your approval, to live as though we already have it because we do in Christ. I ask that we would seek to please you as we spread the gospel, as we have challenging conversations. Help us keep firmly in mind of the hope that we have for all of eternity. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.